Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 217. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How you doing, Kevin? Doing good. Good. Yeah. Good How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm in the midst of apartment hunting and it's, uh, it's a headache. Nice. It's a headache, but got to get it done. Got to do it. Uh, this week on the show, got two indies on the docket. With Anna Biller's The Love Witch and Kevin Chenault's Lottie. We'll also be talking about some of uh, what we've been watching on the watch list, movie predictions, new on video on demand, Blu-ray releases. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Got some news lined up. <laughs> first, first, this is this is kind of breaking. This this just came out earlier today, just a couple hours ago actually. Uh, actor Anton Yelkin has passed away. Yeah. This was this was kind of shocking. So apparently he was leaving his home, and I guess he got out of his car. He was he was going to a rehearsal, got out of his car, and I guess he didn't put it in park, and it hit him and it it crushed him in between a security fence or a wall and mm. uh, the car, what and the unfortunately it, it killed him. Jesus, he was twenty seven. That's crazy. Yeah. Ter- terribly sad. I-, I really liked him. I really, I really liked. Um, I-, I can't remember. I can't remember what the first movie I saw him in was. I could probably look up his filmography and figure it out. But let's look at his filmography. I, I, uh, I think I've seen him. He's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's in a he's in a whole lot of stuff. I I liked him. I mean, he's in the Star Trek movies, which he's he was fantastic in. Yep. Yep. Um, I liked him a lot in the Fright Night remake, the one with uh, Colin Farrell. Yeah. He was he was great in that. Uh, Green Room is what I saw him in most recently, and he's fantastic in Green Room. I most recently saw him in a short film called Kiss Kiss Finger Bang. Oh, which he was good in that too. <laughs> that short is it's ridiculous because it's it's him and Caitlin Sheel, and Caitlin Sheel when she's being finger banged. She'll do anything. So it's just him finger banging her all the time and making her do terrible things. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Only Lovers Left Alive? He was good in that, too. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, I think his probably his breakout role would be Alpha Dog. He was... Uh, that, that, mm-hmm. I didn't like that movie, really, but I think that, that was probably the, the first big one that he was in. He was in a lot of TV shows before that and a few movies uh, here and there. He was in that... Uh, Charlie Bartlett movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was in The Beaver. He was in uh, Like Crazy. I li- like Crazy was okay. I thought that was okay. It was a love story. Pretty, pretty decent love story. He was in Terminator Salvation. Didn't like the movie, but I, I liked him in it as Kyle Reese. Young, young Kyle Reese. That's just, that's crazy. 27. Yep, yep. absolutely. Absolutely it, terrible. For the, that way, too? Like a freak I know. accident? Yeah. Mm. Ter- terrible, terrible news. Uh, and he'll, you'll be able to see him next in the new Star Trek movie. He'll be in Star Trek Beyond, which uh, it's always, when actors pass away like that, it's always kind of sad because it almost gives the the movie, like their next movie that gets released after their passing, it almost gives it like a kind of a new look to it. You know, you look at it in a different way. Because yeah. I know if I go see that movie, every time he's on screen, I'm just going to be thinking about how sad it is that he he died unexpectedly. Yeah. So, rest in peace, Anton Yelkin. I'll I'll probably go back and watch some of his stuff this week. 
Damien Chazelle's La La Land is going to be open the Venice Film Festival this year. Uh, have you heard anything about this movie? Are you interested in it? I have not heard about this movie. So it's a musical. Okay, no thanks. And it's kind of uh, paying homage to the golden age of the musical. And it's, it's starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And J.K. Simmons is in it. Finn Whitrock's in it. Rosemary DeWitt. John Legend is in it. Yeah. Right. And uh, Ryan Gosling plays a jazz pianist who falls in love with an inspiring actress who's played by Emma Stone. Yeah. I'm into it. You know, uh, I'm, I don't like musicals typically, but I think that Damien Chazelle will bring an interesting spin to it. I think he did that before. I think his first film was a musical. Was it? Yeah. That was a jazz trumpeter. Oh, yeah. Was it, was it a feature or was it a short? I think it was a feature. Oh, okay. Madeline on a park bench. There's a gi. I never know if it's gi or guy. I, I, I don't know either. Uh, there's some way to tell. I wish if you're not some sort of identifier. If you're not familiar, Damien Chazelle, he did Whiplash. He did the short film, and then he did the feature Whiplash, which I was a big fan of. Kevin, if I remember correctly, you were not a huge fan of that. One. I was not a huge fan, but I did like it. And he also wrote that. Um, uh, what was the one with? Uh, the one with um, Elijah Wood, where he was the pianist. Oh, yeah. I can't uh, It was called, like, Grand Piano or something? Yeah, Grand Piano. I liked that one a lot. Uh, that was, uh, that was, a, it was a nice little thriller. It was, uh, it was a fun, that was a fun one. And he wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane? Oh, yeah. Yes, he did. What? Yep. What? So, I'll be interested to see... La La Land. It does have a release date here in the States already. Lionsgate's going to be releasing it on December 2nd in limited release, and then it's going to open nationwide December 16th. So keep an eye out for that one again. It's called La La Land. Criterion has announced their September releases. It's been a kind of a slow news week, honestly. Not, not a lot coming out here. So. <laughs> I was like, what, what did Criterion do? I was like, yeah, it's just their, it's just their September lineup. Uh, so we got, got a, a number of uh, interesting releases here. Probably most interestingly, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And then also the original Valley of the Dolls are getting Criterion releases. Yeah. That's uh, kind of yeah, cool. Cat People, the uh, Jacques Teneur uh, Decalogue. Oh, boy. The, the masterpiece. Can that sucker? Lord have mercy. I'm gonna. I, I think I'm gonna try to do it. I'm gonna try to get through it. You gonna do the decalogue? I think so. I'm gonna attempt. Gonna make an attempt. There's a nine disc Zatoichi collection coming out. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Coen Brothers Blood Simple, uh, Kenji Mizuguchi's The Story of the Last Chrysanthemum, and mm-hmm. Carol Reed's Night Train to Munich. So keep a lookout for those. Uh, we'll probably have reviews up for at least a few of those. In the coming months, trailers. Uh oh. I Daniel Blake, which is the new Ken Loach movie. Uh huh. Have you uh, have you interest any interest in this one? Not really. Uh, you know, I I checked out the trailer. It looks it looks kind of interesting. Not selling me. Not selling me on it. It's about a guy who. I mean, can you really by describing his movies? Did can you really sell those movies? <laughs> I mean, with his his movies, you gotta kind of at least see a trailer. Just me describing it will never sell it. Like 
Can you imagine trying to describe somebody the wind that shakes the barley and be like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like it's right up my alley. Correct. I yeah. just don't think it's possible. I think you have to actually see a trailer here, read a review or something. But either way, this one looks pretty interesting. I'm, intri- I'm, I'm in, into it. I'll, I'll be checking that out. Denial uh, came out. This one with Rachel uh, Weiss. Yeah. It's the one about, it's, it's the true story of uh, this uh, woman who was, he, she, she kind of came out against this really famous Holocaust denier, and he ended up suing her, and the kind of legal battle that ensued. <laughs> so I, I think that uh, could, yeah, that could be interesting. It's directed by Mick Jackson. Yeah. Uh, it's the I guy that... Uh, Timothy Spawn there. Yeah, Timothy Spall, he, he's one of the, he plays the Holocaust denier, and Rachel Weisz plays, uh, her name's Deborah E. Lipstadt. Yeah. Um, Mick Johnson is the guy who directed The Bodyguard and L.A. Story, which reminds yeah. me, I'm going to rewatch L.A. Story. It's been years since I've seen that movie, and I remember l- loving it when I was younger, with Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. I yeah, want to rewatch that. It's been ages since I saw that, too. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else have we got here? 31, this is the new Rob Zombie film. Looks bad. Heard it was very bad. Uh, You know, it's like, I've said it before on the show, I want to like Rob Zombie, but he's making it difficult. I wish he would have made, maybe it's still happening, but he was going to be making a hockey movie, and I would have loved to to have seen him make a hockey movie. That would be great. But, I don't know. I'm still hoping that Goon 2 comes out this year. I think it is. I think it's supposed to. Outlaws and Angels, this is a Western with Luke Wilson and Chad Michael Murray. I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. What's it honestly. called? Outlaws and Angels. Outlaws and Angels. It looks like it's going to be pretty bad, but it could be fun. I feel like, the, I feel like there's going to be a lot of movies like this that are going to be coming out mm-hmm. since we're having this bit of a Western resurgence. Yep. But uh, this, this might be the first nail in the coffin for the, for the resurgence of the, the Western. I don't know. Start to, let's start winding it down yeah, here. We're going to wind it down a little bit. All Eyes on Me, this is the Tupac biopic that's finally coming out. The guy that they get to play Tupac in this, this is just a teaser trailer that came out, but holy crap, holy crap. He looks and talks exactly like Tupac. It's pretty incredible. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know what to think about this one. It's, since it's just a teaser, it's kind of hard to read exactly what it's going to be like. It's probably not going to be good because it's a biopic and they rarely are. Yeah, correct. Uh, Jack Reacher never back down. Or sorry, never go back. <laughs> never back down. Pretty much never, the same thing. Never go back. This was a teaser also. Uh, I really liked the first Jack Reacher. I was really surprised at how much I liked the first Jack Reacher. So... Naturally, I am pretty excited about this one. Say what you will about Tom Cruise, but he makes some good movies. And Kevin, I think that if you saw Jack Reacher, the first one, you would like it. I do. I do like Tom Cruise action movies. And you like Werner Herzog, too. And he's the bad guy in that. Yeah. See, that's how you sell a movie. You just sold the shit out of it. A lot of great, a lot of great action in the, in the first one. Robert Duvall's in it and he plays a, a sniper. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a badass movie. So. All right, let's talk about our first movie. I was thinking we could do The Love Witch. Okay. Let's start with The Love Witch. So this Uh it's not out yet. I don't think it has an actual release date as of yet. 
It'll next be screening at BAM Cinema Fest, so you can check it out there. It'll be on the 24th of June. It's written and directed by Anna Biller, and we'll get into some of the other things. She wears many hats. She's, oh, man. She is, she is someone, I don't, I don't throw the term around a lot, but she is someone who I would probably designate as an auteur. Well, mostly because she handles everything. <laughs> yeah. She does everything. She is a jack of all trades. I have a synopsis here. A modern day witch uses spells and magic to get men to fall in love with her in a tribute to 1960s pulp novels and technicolor melodramas. Now, I think the key word there is technicolor because this movie is drenched in color. Now, the the, the reason I brought this up is because you... You texted me last night when after you watched this, and we're just like the colors in this movie. The colors, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. this is uh, it's gorgeous. It, this is a gorgeous film. Um, that's the highlight. Like the highlight of this movie is the visuals, and I, I talked about this movie before on a previous episode. So let's let's start with you, Kevin. What are your thoughts on the Love Witch? Colors. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Uh. Yeah, uh, to me that was the highlight right off the bat. Was just, I mean, I just got sucked in right there that I got hooked. Um, and overall, I quite enjoyed this one. I was kind of surprised, honestly. You know, a lot of the places that this movie went, and it was interesting because I was like from the outset, and I really didn't know too much about this except from what you told me a little bit in that one podcast that you talked about. Um, but me trying to pin down what this movie was exactly and mm-hmm. being like essentially wrong, like every five minutes, like I try and get like a handle on it and I think I have it pinned down and then I would find out that I was completely wrong and it's not at all what I thought it was going to be, which was, I always find enjoyable. Um, and oh my goodness, the, everything that just goes into this, the set design, the costume design, like it's so impressive. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, and that, and that's really the thing to talk about with this movie because as far as the the plot, the performances, all of that stuff, it's you know it's not it's not anything special, in my opinion. No, well, the, but, the only, the, only inter- the thing that I enjoyed the most is I love the way in which she has she deals with a very um, complicated theme and viewpoints and stuff, and the way that she's able to work all of them in and have it layered like that but also like on just the surface you can just sit there and just you know be entertained and just right. be like a straightforward movie but then there is stuff underneath of it which is quite nice well it's it's kind of harkening back to the it's kind of harkening back to the the, the um more like the 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 uprising of the, the the feminist movement in cinema in the 60s like there were a lot of movies like this back then that started coming out and i think that it so accurately nails that as like that narrative and the thing that really drives it home is just every single aspect of not just the visuals i mean mostly the visuals because that's that's the most striking feature but also like the the music Mm -hmm. and the audio cues and not just uh the look of the visuals but the actual cinematography like what she does with like how she likes to focus on eyes and like she really pulls pulls it in with the eyes and the just the camera techniques that she uses it's just like holy shit i mean 
if you just showed this to someone, they would think that this is a, a movie from that era. Yeah, which is the very first time, because I kind of forgot that you told me about how it takes place. The, the modern stuff? Yeah. So when that first, that first scene shows up where, you know, she pulls up in the BMW, you know, that cutback, I was just like, wait, what? Wait a second. That's, and again, that was, that was one of my biggest kind of criticisms when I mentioned this on, on the other episode was that it does take place in modern times. So there are just such slight hints that this is a modern film. The, the cars being one of them. But, but it's funny, too, because a lot of the cars they use are old cars. Yeah. Oh, if you're, for, up until that point, I was like, oh, holy shit. I mean, they nailed this. Yeah. I mean, this is ridiculous. And then the, later on, there's a scene where a cell phone is, is being used, and that, that kind of pulls you out of it, too. So, again, I don't know why I don't, chose. I, I don't know. To me, it just kind of, I thought it was kind of funny. I guess. Just be like, oh, yeah, that's right. This isn't the 70s. But there's almost nothing that indicates that. You would think that there'd be, like, a computer somewhere, you know, like an email. Well, especially... Going the, back and forth between like the, these characters. The, the police station. Yeah. Yeah. There should be computers everywhere. And, and, and the, all of the clothes. Like, not, not just the main character. Um, yeah, but... By, yeah, like... When by you... L, L, oh, wait, no. Who's the... Samantha, Samantha Robinson? Samantha Robinson, sorry. So it's not just her that's kind of wearing the, the yeah, because the sixties style costumes. It's yeah, everybody. Well, it is. I I found that kind of funny when that initial scene where the BMW pulls up and the Trish character gets out and she's straight. I mean, just like straight seventies clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love uh, all of the scenes in the tea room. Just the look of that place is it's so ridiculous. It truly is tea rooms and the the kind of burlesque club that they that they frequent that the witches frequent. It's just such a and that was the I think the first thing that threw me for a loop is I I was thinking this was just going to be all out full throttle feminism and then like the first words out of Elaine's character's mouth is just like the complete opposite and she's the main character and I'm just like wait what the hell is this movie about yeah so that's like the interesting thing so just going back to the the plot she ba- she plays a witch and she's so desperate to have a man fall in love with her that she casts spells on some of the guys that she has an interest in but the problem is the spells are clearly too powerful and she turns these men into it groveling sniveling idiots that uh can't handle it and end up dying <laughs> basically <laughs> uh, um, wonderful so it is it is kind of an interesting take i i think that it is uh, a pro-feminist film but yeah it's just the, the character w- the way in which she gets there I, mean, yeah. I was not expecting that and i think the ending uh especially kind of reinforces that theme but the it is interesting that all that she wants is a is a man to like take care of her and love like just show un- unconditional love towards her that she has this like need this this absolute need to have uh, a man in her life yeah that she that she can cook for and take care of yeah doesn't work out for 
No, it doesn't work out for any of the guys that she sets her sights on either. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> the the funniest one is I think Wayne. Yes, I was just <laughs> I just laughed through that entire. That was the best. Wayne was uh, <laughs> Wayne was just just how he fell. He fell apart so quickly. Like he was, it was cool. Yeah. He was cool at the beginning, but then all of a sudden, man, he just. He lost it. Those drugs kicked in. He just, he just falls apart. Yeah, and, and just the, his the line delivery. <laughs> he's just like, just, he just loses it. And just, I love the of him being in bed, and you just like, you know, and the, the camera's on her smoking a cigarette, and you just hear him wailing yeah. in the background, and then the voiceover comes on, it just calls him a pussy. <laughs> Uh, I would say if you're not familiar with the work of this director to, to seek out, go to, go to Vimeo. Cause there's like a bunch of stuff like trailers and there's even one of her short films on there. Check out her stuff because it's, she just, she is so good at perfectly nailing that aesthetic that anybody that's a fan of that era in cinema absolutely has to check out her stuff because it's just, it's so spot on. Yeah. And she does everything. Going back to what what she actually does, she writes and directs, and I think she does the music, she produced it, she edits it, she does all the production design, which, again, the production design in this is so good. Uh, art direction, set direction, costume design. Yeah, I think I even I read somewhere where she, you know, like she made most of the costumes. Yeah, it's she, but she made the stuff. She made it, and and the costumes are so good too. Like, uh, especially like, I mean, it's funny because in this movie she she has the opportunity to just have fun with it. Like, there's a lot of kind of dreamlike sequences and fantasy sequences, so she can really just do whatever she wants. And like the whole Renaissance fair <laughs> with all the the lavish medieval costumes. And you can tell oh, that she's just running wild with it. Oh yeah, and, I mean it, it's quality stuff. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. I just it, to be to do all of those things, but to also do them so well is. I mean, it's one thing to you know to wear all those hats. You know, that's impressive in and of itself. But for the quality to be that high in all those departments at the same time, where you're not thinking, you know, like. Not once do you think she's spreading herself too thin by doing everything. Yes, exactly. You're just like, holy shit, how did you do all of this? Right, especially when when you have some films where, you know, the director or the person that's creating the film does everything and you can be like, well, maybe maybe they shouldn't have done that. Maybe that's, like, I think Shane Carruth's a good example. Like, he's he's good at everything that he does, but, you know, as far as... Maybe he's not the best person to be starring in his own films or editing yeah. his own films. But she just, man, she just nails every, every aspect of what she's working on. And the same can be said for, for her last film, Viva, which if you, if you were into this one, Kevin, I think you should definitely check that one out. She does everything in that one, too, and she stars in it. Okay. And that, I mean, it's... Technicolor feel? Yeah, oh, it's very, which... very similar. Which, I mean, to point out there, too, is there's just not that many people doing color like that nowadays. No, you know where I mean? it's, it's yeah. just, like, you don't see it. 
I just don't like... see that blatant like use of color. Just I mean, gleeful amounts of colors. Just it's fantastic. Yeah, I think that we're still kind of in this trend of a very dystopian look to movies where yeah, it's everything's drained. Kind of like it's drained of color. Yeah, and like grayscale over. Yeah. So so when you get a movie like this that comes in that just bombards you with so much color that it's it's jarring and then but but also very welcome like we do we don't see movies outside of like animated films that have this much color yeah it does take you back because that was the the number one thing i was thinking of while watching i was like man this really does feel like you know like a, a 70s movie a 60s movie oh yeah where you you know you're so used to like people were really into color back then yeah and, and- it was colors to pop and they they brought back the uh, the paint the bright the bright bright red uh, blood in this too. Mm. Oh man! But it's just it's excellent. Uh, I thought it was a little it was a little too long for me. It is two hours long, and I feel like uh, it it could have been tightened up a bit. And I did think that the acting was was atrocious for the most part. That was pretty bad, mostly by all of the like secondary characters. But I. I didn't really like Samantha Robinson's performance very much. Now, I think, I think it fit. With, granted, but, that, and that's, that was going to be my kind of caveat to this, is that if you go back and watch some of the movies that influenced this movie, that's pretty much how it is. Like, how they acted was designed to, to mimic or emulate how those performances were delivered back then. So, in that regard, it does fit, but... I still wasn't the biggest yeah, fan. It's a, yeah, if you're, it was, if it you're was a little hard to get past some of it, especially when you when you're doing it for two hours. Yeah, and then like there was a lot of she did a lot of voiceover and stuff too that I just wasn't that into. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that it overstated its welcome a little bit, but I still thought that it was a visual marvel. And yeah, for that alone, I was kind of I was hooked on it. Yeah, there's plenty in there to kind of make up for that, especially when you just got those colors on display. Definitely, definitely. Take your time. Yep. If you're giving me colors, take your time. Uh, so this is one I would definitely keep an eye on. When it comes out, I don't know what the release uh, situation is for this one, but I would definitely put it on your radar, put it on your watch list on uh, Letterboxd. Take a look at the trailer because the trailer is out. It's just, kinda... it's one of those things too that's just, it's so, I mean, kind of coming back to the color thing, but also it's just so refreshing. It's different. Because it's so completely different than everything that you're seeing that, you know, that's coming out right now or, you know, the last couple of years, whatever. It's just like, completely different. Like I said before, there, there are a lot of directors that try to emulate, you know, older genres, older decades of films. And and some of them come close, you know. Like I said uh, previously, Black Dynamite is one that gets very close to the mark. But there's always something that feels off about the tone or just the vibe. But uh, what Anna Biller does here is just—it's uh, uncanny. I mean, it's pr- pretty incredible. Well, it doesn't really feel—I don't know. To, to me, it didn't feel like a blatant homage type deal, or you know, like an ironic. Like, oh, look at the 70s movie. Ooh. You know, it was more of like it was just operating from that point. You know, like, okay, we're sitting in there, and then it just it feels like it's from that time. 
Yeah, yeah. Right, it didn't feel like a gimmick. Yeah, exactly. Like it, and, and the comedy is another thing. Like, a lot of the comedy in this movie is, it's, it's intentional comedy. And I think that that is one thing that sets it apart, is that it's, it's having fun playing with the narrative and the visuals and stuff. And it, it's, so it's, the, the older movies that this may be drawing influence from didn't really have that. You know, they weren't so self-aware. You know? Yeah. But yeah, the, the Love Witch, definitely one to keep an eye out for. Kevin, what are you going to give the Love Witch out of 10? I'll give a Love Witch an 8. I'm also going to throw out an 8 on this one. Um, it's like a, between a 7.5 and an 8 for me, like a 7.75 we did those. Uh, yeah, yeah, like a 7.83. Yeah, 7.83. There we go. Uh, nice. we, should, we should start doing crazy numbers like that because it's so arbitrary anyway. Like, yes. why not just have fun with it? I would like to change our rating system from one to from zero to one. <laughs> that would be fun. zero. To one, so everything's like point seven seven two. Well, I know the the B movies podcast. They do B B plus or B minus. Like those are just those are the that, three that they do. Cut dry, huh? Yeah. Damn, not a lot of wiggle room in there. Nope, nope, not. I do like that on Ryan watches a movie. We introduce the the negative one. He, I think he only <laughs> did, did. I don't know if he gave it out at all. But I'm, I'm looking I'm, forward to that day. I'm hoping that he does give out the negative one. Because it gives point. us something new to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about our next film. We're talking about Lottie. This is another one that I do not know what the release uh, situation is for this. This is, uh, this is a very early one. This one hasn't even uh, started screening at festivals or anything yet, to my knowledge. So we're, we're early on in this one. This is written and directed by Kevin Chenault. I have a synopsis here. A struggling laborer is diagnosed with a terminal illness and finds himself being pulled in different directions. Uh, I guess that's good enough. (laughs) This uh, stars Kevin Chenault as well. Uh, Now, this was was sent to me by the producer of the film uh, because I, I covered their last movie called Different Drum. Uh, a while back, like a year or two ago, and I was uh, kind of taken with it. It it definitely had to me. It had kind of a color wheel vibe to it, and I actually liked it quite a bit. So when when they emailed me about this one, I was like, "Yeah, I'll check it out." And uh, I, I gotta say, I actually liked this one as well. I th- maybe even I like this one more than Different Drum. Uh, this was it's a shoestring budget movie, so there's there's not a lot going on, and it is just over an hour long, but I got to say, I was really impressed with not just the story, but the cinematography in this one. Like I thought it looked great for being a shoestring budget. This was shot over the course of two and a half weeks while the cinematographer was on vacation. So this was just like, you know, indie to the core. And I got to say that I was, I really enjoyed the, uh, the result of this one. This one's tough because I, I, for the most part, I agree with you. Uh, I was taken by the cinematography. Um, speaking of how we were just talking about downcast, grayscale, that's all this is. Uh, but there's uh, interesting use of camera movements in here that I really liked. Yeah. I think it's interesting because there's not um, a lot going on. No, no. And really, for me, the thing that was the saving grace for that was the fact that it was only... Just over an hour. Yeah. Long. Thank goodness. Got in and that. got out. 
really what this movie is is just a guy finds out he's dying of a terminal illness and it's just him dealing with it but the way in which he deals with it is the most bland possibly realistic yeah it's mostly just like i um, i imagine it's just him like going through things in his head yeah but we don't hear we just see him doing that so it's just him sitting in like an empty in an empty house yeah smoking and smoking yeah like that's it uh, very, very sparse dialogue, which again, I think was kind of a saving grace because again, performance is not great in this one. Yeah. They're rough. The, the, especially the kind of secondary characters, uh, his, the, the, the woman that played his sister was not very good either, but you know, it's, I didn't expect Oscar worthy performances and I thought that they were passable didn't didn't bother me that much and i gotta say like i i liked the character of lottie i thought he was funny he reminded me of uh like a more grown-up napoleon dynamite <laughs> and has a terminal illness and is dying yes 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 uh speaking of uh going back to the cinematography there were a couple shots that really impressed me one was the when he fell out of the window mm-hmm. just that that whole scene <laughs> that, the whole the the entirety of how that played out yeah. was definitely the high point of the movie. That yeah. was that was just great. I loved it. I loved how they how they organized that that whole sequence of shots. I thought it was was great. Uh, and then there was just another one that that I, I don't know. It was kind of a throwaway thing in a way, but it was there was a lot of like kind of static shots in this where you know it's just set up, you know, and it just lingers. You know, a lot of lingering static shots, and one of one of them was him, his car, there's a scene where his car doesn't start, so he has to walk home, and as he's walking, he starts coughing, and then just passes out, and just the way that they, the camera was fixed, it was kind of like a medium shot, and I guess it was maybe more of a wide shot, it was medium wide shot, the way that he just immediately, he's coughing, and then he just goes from coughing to completely unconscious. <laughs> And the way that he falls, it's just, I don't know, that really made me laugh. And there was another scene where he, he has, there's several attempts of him trying to leave town. He's trying to go to Texas. And the one scene when he goes to the the bus station and he's waiting for the bus ticket to print out. And it's just, the camera's just fixed on the, the, uh, the clerk at the, at the bus station. And you just hear the dot matrix printer printing for like a minute straight. That made me laugh. I also like the fact that he that at one point in time he finds some money in a in a phone book, like a ratty phone book, and I like that he never removes it from the phone book. Yeah, he just keeps it in there. <laughs> he keeps Car- it, carries it around with. He him. carries the phone book around with him, and I love that he turns his back anytime he has to pay for something because I guess he doesn't want people to see that it's in the phone book. But you can clearly tell that he's getting it out from the phone book that he's been holding the entire time. Uh, it's also possible he doesn't want people to see how much money it was because there's a shitload of money in there. I know. I just I don't understand why you'd be carrying that around all the time. He makes a lot of weird decisions, you got, but yeah. you gotta but you gotta think like a maybe this this uh, brain tumor or whatever's going on is affecting his yeah. I mean, it, it, judgment. It must have took out the center of your brain that is responsible for knowing the existence of pockets. I guess. <laughs> Or wallets. Uh, and then that, that coupled with the fact that he's probably in a relative state of shock just all the time. You know, yeah. he's, he's just, 
kind of going through the motions at this point. Like he's already, it seems like he's already kind of either he's accepted the fact that he's going to die and she's just like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to float. I'm just going to float through this until the end happens. Or he's just still struggling to come to terms with it. I think he's still trying to figure out if he, he's going to fight it or if he's just going to just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh there's some some interesting things that happen in this cuz he kind of it seems like he almost loses his grip with reality uh at, at one point and there's several kind of like almost dreamlike things that occur and there's one thing that that happens there's it's almost a for a second it almost turns into a murder mystery and there's one scene and I don't know if this is giving too much away I don't I don't think so cuz it happens relatively early on he finds a dead body and there's a there's a part where he when he calls the police and he has like blood all over his knuckles. Yeah. And I don't know if they're trying to imply something happened with that, and that's how he ended up getting the money. I don't know. That was all kind of a little sketchy. I'm not quite sure what happened in that instance of the movie. <laughs> Be quite honest. Because then, then after that that occurs, after he finds this this dead woman. These two guys just start coming after him. Then one of the guys is carrying around a bloody baseball bat with him. Yeah. And they're trying to, I guess, kill him? I don't know. Kill him or confront him? Yeah, because the police accidentally told him Yeah, that he was a witness or whatever. And then there's something that occurs at the end. that uh, The end was kind of a surprise to me as well how that played out. And I thought that that was, yeah. Cause like something actually happened at yeah. that point in time. That was different. <laughs> <laughs> it's just rough. Cause after I watched this, the, my wife was like, Oh, what did, what did you watch? What was it about? And I said, honestly, it's about a guy that didn't really talk much. And he smoked cigarettes. Yeah. I, I do. I do wish there was uh just maybe more going on with the relationship with this family. Just maybe a little bit more. Well, yeah, because even even at sixty six minutes, this is like you don't have enough for sixty six minutes. Like this is a short film at best. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of it is just him just sitting around smoking, yeah, smoking cigarettes. Yep, falling asleep, pretty much. And it's just a too uh, heavily, heavily reliant on the the soundtrack. It's just too much. Uh, going that, on that was another music. yeah. Like, that calm it yes. down. That was one thing that I wanted to bring up um, and get get your thoughts on was the the soundtrack in this because to me a lot of the songs didn't really fit like it just it seemed weird like there mm-hmm. were there yeah. were several and there was at least one instance and I can't remember like what specific scene it was, it was sort of a montage but uh, I imagined what the scene would have been like without music at all and like in my head it worked out a lot better. <laughs> Than with with the song that was playing, yeah, because there's a, there's even one instance where like the song ends and it ends like in the middle of a scene, which at first is just odd. It's like, oh, that was just badly timed out the way that this song's sitting in there. And then there's literally like just a couple of seconds, and then another song starts like in the middle, and it's just like that was just a really poor transition. Like I yeah. don't, yeah, the, can, the, you don't have to have a song playing all the time. Yeah, the music the music didn't didn't really work for me in this. There was like maybe one song that I thought was a good a good use. wasn't wasn't a huge 
problem for me. It just felt out of place and odd. Yeah. But I, th- I still think that there was enough there as far as the, the visuals and the little, little spurts of humor that, that uh, made me enjoy it overall. And I, I'm, I'm still curious to... I'll still keep following this director because I think he's got some interesting uh, things ahead of him. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it, I definitely like the look. I like the overall look of the film. It's just it, it just didn't, there wasn't really anything there for me. Just nothing there. Got to find a good story to tell. Yeah. That was a little bit of the problem I had with different drum is that it was pretty much, pretty much the same thing, whereas lots of good visuals and some interesting kind of comedic sequences. Like there's a scene where the, it's like a, uh, there's a scene where she's the, the the lead actress is walking down the street and she gets hit in the face with a a branch like a branch she walks into a branch and for the rest of the movie she has an eye patch on. <laughs> uh, that was funny. All right, let's uh, give this movie a score. I'm gonna give Lottie a. I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. Ten. I'm gonna give it a five. That's five out of ten. Uh, this one again. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the release date is for this but uh, i'm sure that we will have it posted up on the site once it becomes available let's move on talk about someone we've been watching in the watch list i think that i will start it off this week get not it. a lot get it didn't have didn't have a lot going on this week oh. i saw uh well the new season of orange is the new black oh, started up so i've been tearing through that got hooked on that huh a uh, little bit yeah i've been been tearing through that Still a good show. Still, still a good show. I saw Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Okay. This is uh, the one with Tina Fey, directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requois. Uh, yeah, this one's a meh for me. I don't have a lot to say about it, honestly. It was a little tonally uh, schizophrenic in that I'm not sure what this movie wanted to be. I don't know if it was supposed to be a comedy, if it was supposed to be a dark comedy. A dramatic comedy. I don't know if it's supposed to be a comedy at all. I just I don't know what I was what this was supposed to be necessarily because there's some funny things in it, but for the most part, it is not funny at all. It's like not even trying to be funny. I mean, Tina Fey is inherently funny. Yeah. Just she, she's just a funny person, so that kind of comes through. But uh, it kind of switches back and forth between these kind of goofball. Not goofball, but but kind of humorous fish out of water moments. Yeah, it, it switches back and forth between or juxtaposes them with that and the horrors of war in Afghanistan. So Tina Fey plays a uh, a, a news producer who ends up going to Afghanistan on assignment, and while there, uh, she and her boyfriend break up, and she kind of becomes a thrill seeker and she kind of she, she kind of becomes addicted to the danger over there sure. yeah. and starts going into more and more uh risky situations and then eventually some some terrible things do occur and it's just about her dealing with the crossroads that she's at in her life and you know coming to terms with her career and where she's at in her life and all of this stuff and it's just it's okay it's just it, it was entertaining enough, but yeah. it didn't really it didn't really do it for me. Yeah, because I remember even thinking seeing the trailer, and it's like this is just a really weird mix of 
things. It is, yeah. It's, like it's, it's just a weird place for comedy. It is. Or to be is. attempting comedy. Because there's, there's some really kind of, not horrific, but really serious stuff that happens. Some, some pretty violent things that occur. Yeah. And it just kind of throws you for a loop when the, the majority of what you've seen previously is like parties and her being like getting hit on by this you know, diplomat guy and kind of getting the hots for one of her bodyguards. And she has this kind of interesting relationship with her, her fixer guy who's oddly played by um, Christopher Abbott. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what the call was to make uh, Christopher Abbott an what? Afghan gentleman, but... But you couldn't find somebody. Yeah, come on. Find... And and Alfred Molina played the other like. The, yes, uh, that's the right. Too. Just get the fuck out of here. That's just lazy. That's just lazy shit. Yeah, I'm not sure like, what. You're going out of your why. way to be an asshole, dumbass movie. Fuck that. Like that it felt weird. It really did. Fuck but movies. anyway, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I probably won't recommend that one unless it's like a. Netflix watch or something. Uh, I got. I didn't. I'm. I'm in the same boat as you. I didn't get to see that much. It just. I, in all honesty, this week felt like it was just me trying to finish movies. Like every movie took me forever to finish. I don't know why nice. that is. It's just like it, the last ten minutes always takes like three hours for some reason. Especially on Fandor and Vimeo recently. Uh, the first of which is Go Down Death, which is. I have this up on the site for this was the latest unsung indie. Uh, Aaron Skimberg's Go Down Death. This one is, I saw this one, Fandor, as well. This is one of those movies that the last 10 minutes took like two hours to finish because it's just buffer, buffer. Mm. I don't know why the buffer always waits until the very fucking end. Like it doesn't do it the entire movie, and then in the last 10 minutes, it's buffer constantly. Um, <clears throat> This is a uh, black and white shot on film. It's a bizarre mix. It's essentially just like episodes, you know, that it's cutting back and forth from and I, all these different characters. And you have no idea what time period it is. You have no idea where they're at. Um, apparently there's like a war going on because you just hear explosions and, you know, it's rattling the, the buildings and all everything. Um <clears throat> which this was apparently shot in like an abandoned factory in Brooklyn. Mm. But the amount of work that they put into making the sets and like the costumes and everything, I mean, holy shit, is it impressive? Like you have no idea that this was shot in an abandoned factory in Brooklyn. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Everything. And there's so many different sets too. It's not just that they made like one set. And they just, you know, did a really great job of making that one set. They did, like, a really great job of making, like, a shit ton of sets and a shit ton of costumes. I mean, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> and it's just, it's very bizarre. It's absurd. And it just keeps cutting back and forth between these different cast characters and everything. It kind of has that dream world feel to it where it's kind of operating in dream logic type thing going on. And uh, I, it's extremely impressive. It's quite good. I highly recommend that one. Okay, and that's Go Down Death, available on Fandor. Fandor wouldn't be a show without talking about some Fandor. Fandor. Uh, I saw a I saw a movie called The Fake. This is from 2013. 
This is uh, an animated film directed by Yun Sang Ho. It's a uh, Korean film. Oh, all right. This one, this is a toughie. This is a real toughie because there is almost nothing redeemable about this, this film. The characters are the most horrid human beings ever. Uh, it basically, it's about, it's kind of this like cynical critique of uh, maybe organized religion as a whole, specifically Christianity. So it's about uh, this, this village that is about to be flooded because a dam is being built. And, and the village is about to be flooded and this church pops up. And the church is being run by these kind of, I mean, they're basically con men. But you don't, you don't really know that. Like, you have an idea that one of them is definitely a con man. But the other one seems pretty, pretty altruistic. And this guy... The, the lead character, he comes home from being, being away for several months, and he's just a horrid, horrid person. As he, I wouldn't even, he's not even an anti-hero. He's just a, a bad, he's just a bad man. Which is interesting, because in a lot of Asian films, and probably a lot of foreign films in general, you have lead characters that are just evil. And you don't see that a lot in, in American films. Uh, they're, they're a lot more comfortable confronting the viewer with unlikable characters and making you sit with them for yeah. extended periods of time. Like this guy is verbally and physically abusive to his family and basically everyone around him. He's just permanently angry and hates everything and everyone. Gotcha. And everyone in this village is kind of buying into this church and they think that like they're selling bottled holy water and they're thinking that it's curing people in the village of various ailments and illnesses. And this guy is like not having any of it. He's like, it's all bullshit. You guys are, you're fake as fuck. And I'm going to call you out on it. And it turns out that this church is more of like a gang. They're more of like an organized crime organ, uh, like family. And yeah. they try to kill him basically. And then he comes back and he tries to kill them. And it's just a back and forth until uh, things escalate. It does not end. It does not have a happy ending. Uh, it is a very dark, dour, horrible movie that is. It does not make you feel good in any way. It's just, and it's it's a. Uh, I think for people that have a strong contempt for organized religion may may appreciate it because it really goes after uh, how how horrible religions can be and what they can do to people like the negative effects that they can have on people yeah. and and what blind faith can do to someone but it's a little on the nose and it's a little bit too cynical i mean it, it goes overboard uh several times the animation quality is okay it's it's kind of interesting it's not your typical anime style um the animation i think is it, it's 2D, but it looks like maybe it was done with, uh, with computers, like CG. I don't know how to describe it. It's um, the, the way that the characters move and like their facial expressions and things almost looks like it was rotoscoped or motion capture in a way. Uh, so it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. Some of it looks very ugly, but uh, for the most part, it was, it was pretty good. And uh, so I don't know if I'd recommend this one or not. It's just, if you're looking to have a bad day, then maybe ch check out the fake 
<laughs> you might like it, actually. You might appreciate it. I don't know. It doesn't sound like great. It's pretty depressing. It's a pretty depressing movie. It sounds like it. Very much sounds like it. Um, I watched Lions from Yasmin Lopez. This is from 2012. And, oh my God, I've been wanting to see this movie forever. I first read, uh, read about it in Film Comet, and I've just been waiting patiently in my house for this movie to come out in some way, shape, or form so I could see it. And it finally fucking did. Nice. Came out on the old festival scope, the, uh, the free version of the, of the festival scope. So I was fucking jacked. I was so ready to get into this. And uh, it definitely did not disappoint. Wow. Uh, the, the cinematography in this is incredible. Uh, essentially, it's just it's five, uh, I want to say like young 20-somethings, maybe, you know, around that age. And they're just kind of like walking through the woods, really. They're just trying to find, they're trying to find the water and they're trying to find this, this, uh, this like house they're supposed to be staying at. And it's just them wandering around. They play these like little word games and stuff. And it's just them discussing things and trying to find their way. And the the one character has a is like a Walkman that has like a voice, like a recording of them driving on the way to where they were supposed to be going. So he's listening to the tape, trying to figure out what happened, how did they get there, and that type of thing. <clears throat> and then. You know, like halfway towards the film, there's kind of like a reveal as to what's going on here. And uh, so as simple as it is, just, you know, people just walking around the woods. The the camera work really adds a lot to this and just makes up for a lot of what the film is lacking. Um, it's essentially like the camera almost plays like the sixth individual walking with them. It's just these long uh, single takes where the camera's just kind of moving through the woods with them. You know, it'll kind of stop and the characters will trail off and then, you know, they'll might pop up from a different angle within the same scene a little bit later. There's just, there's so many things going on with the camera. It's just, it's pretty great. So I definitely look forward to more from Yasmin Lopez, um, which I had to look up now to see because 2012's I mean, that's considerable amount of time that's passed here. And I want to know where that other film is. Yeah. And there's nothing. There's nothing on here. Mm. That's it. What's going on? I need more. No, maybe I highly recommend that one. I don't know how long it's going to be on Festival Scope for, but you can watch that shit for free. Jump how on about it. That? Nice. Festivalscope.com. Check it out. Speaking of Festival Scope, I saw one uh, on that site. I don't think this is free, but. It's called Soul Station. This is also directed by Yon Sang Ho. Okay. This is, it's another animated movie. Uh, this one's a zombie movie, actually, about this, uh, th- this girl who is, she's, she's in some financial trouble, her and her boyfriend, and her boyfriend decides to try to pimp her out without telling her. So he, like, makes this online profile basically selling her. He takes a picture of her when she's sleeping and he tries to get men to have sex with her and she freaks. She gets really mad. So she, that makes sense. Right. Understandably. So, so they get in a big blowout argument. She, she walks away and she's just kind of wandering around, uh, the streets of Seoul at nighttime around this, uh, train station. And the, what happens is they, they show a homeless man who has a bite and 
he turns into a zombie and then from that point it basically turns into your pretty pretty straightforward zombie movie it jumps back and forth between the the girl and the boyfriend and the girl's father trying to they're trying to survive but also the boyfriend is trying to meet up with with the girl so that they can all stay safe uh this is another really pretty depressing dark movie that does not end it does not have a happy ending it's uh it's it's pretty messed up what happens in this movie there's an interesting twist that happens in the finale and unfortunately that twist makes everything kind of just turn to shit and it was okay uh the animation style is the same it's the same style where it's uh it's it's 2D and it looks like it's hand drawn, but I don't think it is hand drawn. And uh, it, there's some creepy some creepy stuff in it. There's this really creepy scene towards the end with uh, one of the infected and her like teeth are chattering. She's got this like <clears throat> chattering teeth thing, and it's it's pretty creepy. The zombies are the fast moving zombies, uh, but also this is I believe kind of a statement on how the government treats its its citizens in Seoul. Uh, a lot, it has a lot to do with uh, the homeless population and have like them not being taken care of and looked after and how the government treats its, its uh, citizens. So I think that there's also kind of a, a political message to this movie as well, uh, like the fake. But uh, it was mildly entertaining. I don't know what the release date of this is if it's going to end up coming out here in the states or not uh so stay tuned for that one if you're looking for a decent animated zombie movie that is uh pretty pretty dark and <laughs> and depressing uh soul station might be your ticket a lot of a lot of dark stuff yeah i don't yeah i don't know that was the last movie i saw none of not, honestly it wasn't a very good week for me Mm. Okay, this is the last one that I saw also on Fandor by way of the Criterion Collection is uh, William Klein's Mr. Freedom from 1969. Uh, this definitely has a political message because Mr. Freedom is a ridiculous American superhero. He's, he's so pro-America. He's, and it, you know, the American right. And he's just, he's so ridiculous. <laughs> And he's just, uh, he's, you know, the type of superhero that's like, he just thinks America is the best. America is always right, no matter what. And like, the, and I can't, I, I can't understand like what his superhero is. I don't know if it's just because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't around during that time, so I'm maybe kind of a little fuzzy on the context how things were during the '60s and stuff. But there's one scene where he just, he just smashes in through the window of this black family and his number one, his, his costume is, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like uh football pads mixed with like a catcher's outfit, baseball, mm. you know, like the, the chest padding, yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. like the shins and everything. And he's all red, white, and blue. And he wears ridiculous helmets and stuff. So, and he has like, I think he has like kind of like boxing gloves. <laughs> And he just busts in on these guys, and he's just holding two guns. I don't know how he fires the guns because the gloves are obviously entirely too big to be able to hold a gun and and make it work. Like I, 
but I guess that's one of his superpowers to overcome those gloves. And he just like starts, he just starts like wrecking shit. And everything he does is just like giving speeches about how awesome America is. And then he just like, he just shoots a couple of people and then leaves. And I won't, I'm not 100% sure like what he was doing. I don't know what he was fighting at that point in time. <laughs> but I guess it was just like him popping in to give a reminder that America is awesome. <laughs> and uh, so there's this whole thing where he has to go. There's this whole like organization of, you know, each country has like their own like superhero, I guess. So he has to go to France to help out France because France is a bunch of fucking nobodies that can't do shit. They always need America to help them out is what the movie tries to say. And uh, so the the French equivalent gets killed. So Mr. Freedom's got to go over there and take care of business. And he's fighting the Russian guy, which is Mujik Man. And he's fighting, I forget what the Chinese, but the Chinese, when that supervillain finally shows up, here it's like a giant inflatable, like, I don't even know what it is. It's like some sort of thing with eyes and like sharp teeth. And it mm. like it looks like it shoots cocaine out of its nostrils. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, this movie is so fucking ridiculous. It's just off the wall crazy. It's just so, but it, but the amount of like work that they actually put into like the props and the costumes and stuff is like you're definitely entertained. You will not it, like it's impossible not to be entertained watching this. I mean, it's not that great of a movie, but at the same time, you're gonna be fucking entertained. Like this is just ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous movie. Yeah, I feel like I need to check this one out. He's and he's far more interesting than Captain America. I mean, they need, they need to fucking reboot Mr. Freedom. They need to bring him back. That'd be funny. They should. <laughs> I should think, because, I, I mean, some of the stuff that they talk about in this movie is like, well, it's kind of timely. Seems like it, yeah. All right, let's uh, go ahead and talk about some predictions. Let's do Last it. Last week, Central Intelligence, you said 50, I said 48. Actual 66 on that one. Uh, Finding Dory. Oh, we do have a review for Central Intelligence up on the site. Blake reviewed that. He gave it a 5 out of 10, so he wasn't that into it. Finding Dory, you said uh, 70. I said 76. Actual 95. Damn. Finding Dory. Pixar does it again. I think it's killing it at the box office, too. Oh, sure it is. I just have no interest in that. The animation looks really good, but... eh. Yeah, I don't... I've never had an interest in seeing... Finding Nemo either. I still have not seen that. It's. Uh, I didn't really like it, honestly. Mm, yeah. it just wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't for me. <laughs> We're not going to rectify that situation anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, next week, Independence Day resurgence. <sighs> All right. What are you thinking on this thing? Uh, mm, I'm just going to throw out like a like a. It's, Oh man, I don't know. Fifty-four. I'll say forty-two on that. Nothing about that looks appealing to me. I just—I feel like it just wasn't a movie that was necessary. And if they were going to make a sequel, I feel like they should have done it closer to when the original one came out, not twenty years later. But yeah. what do I know? So <laughs> uh, we also have the uh, Free State of Jones. This is the one with Matthew McConaughey. What now? Free State of Jones. 
Hey, you remember when he was having that that thing? What did they call that thing? The Makana sense or whatever. Yeah, you remember when that was happening? Cause that shit's over now. I don't know, man. This one looks like it could be. This one looks like it could be interesting. It's a civil war. It's a war film. What the hell hell is this called again? Free State of Jones. Free State of Jones. It's a not a not a great title, but I I think the the movie itself could be interesting. I'm gonna say, wait, is it my turn or your turn? It's my turn. Uh, I will say sixty one on that. Okay. I'm going to say 52. All right. It's directed by Gary Ross. Who that? Uh, he did he did the first Hunger Games movie. He did Sea Biscuit. He did Pleasantville. Oh boy. Pleasantville. <laughs> uh, I'll never look at that movie the same. Yeah. Uh, check out <laughs> check out the Kentucky Oddly video essay on Pleasantville. It's it's a hoot. It's remarkable. And he and I love the fact that he insists that, that uh Ron Howard directs it. Uh uh what else do we got here? The Shallows. Oh boy. This is the old Blake Lively shark movie. Well shark action. Ring in the summer with some sharks. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this one this one doesn't appeal to me. Uh I'd say 62. I'll say 58 on that one. I believe that's it for the wide release stuff. In limited release, we have Swiss Army Man with uh, Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. I'll be checking this one out. I'm interested in that. Looks really quirky. Looks like a quirky one. Yeah, I would say. We also have Nuts. This is the documentary about... (laughs) (laughs) I think I would go... The things that are coming out is the farting corpse movie. Yeah. And then and the nuts documentary. The the guy the guy about the guy who implanted goat testicles into people to cure <laughs> impotence. Uh, uh Neon Demon. New watch out. Winding Reffin. That bitch is I wonder if it's got neon in it. Probably. It, it looks like it uh, has a lot of color in it. A lot of color in that one. What do you think about Neon Demon? Are you are you interested? I'll check sure, it out. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't hear good things. I've been seeing kind of mixed things. So I don't, I don't know what to think about it. I'll check it out. Why the hell not? Got nothing else to do. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Yes. New uh, Taika Waititi. Yes. Looks, looks excellent. I've heard nothing but fantastic things about it. And I'm sure that it's going to be incredible. Like all of his other movies. Wiener Dog. New Todd Salon's movie. Good. Like Dawn, what's her name? Dawn Wiener? Is that, that's her, that's his character, the character that he uses in all his movies? Greta Gerwig plays Dawn Wiener in this one. Uh, I heard that this one's also really good, so I'll, I'll be checking that one out. I always, always want to like his movies, but sometimes they just, they miss the mark for me. Uh, the Duel, this is another Western. Get them Westerns. Okay, another western. This one looks uh this one looks okay. It's with Woody Harrelson and um uh Liam Hemsworth. Mm. Looks like it could be all right. Breaking a Monster. This is a documentary about a uh they're a heavy metal band, but they're like uh 14-year-old African-American kids. And they're in this oh, yeah. uh, popular 
heavy metal band. Yeah, I'll I'll probably check that one out just to just see what see what's going on there. Uh, Intruder. Uh, I think that's it. Something called Yarn. I could oh, I could shit. only assume, I could is only it? assume that it's a documentary about yarn. <laughs> oh my god, I'm looking it up. I have to. Please, please be that. Uh, no, somehow I clicked it on Find a Dory. How that even happened? It says here, meet the artists who are redefining the tradition of knit and crochet, bringing, bringing oh, yarn shit. out of the house and into the world. Oh, it's the those artists that like knit. They put they like knit over top of things. Like oh, okay, you, you know what I'm talking about like uh, yeah, yeah, the crochet over fire stuff. hydrants and things like that. That stuff's actually pretty cool. Yeah. It is kind of cool, but I, I still I'm not interested in a documentary about it. Oh, you are so interested! You gotta check it out. Oh yeah, I already requested the screen. I, I hope it's just it's just nothing but them just sitting there know, crocheting, crocheting in real time, just them doing a fire hydrant. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. VOD next week. Let's see. This is for Friday the twenty fourth. We got the duel. We got intruder. Vigilante Diaries and The Laughing Mask. Uh, I'll be checking out The Duel and possibly Intruder as well. Vigilante Diaries is a, an action movie with, uh, I think it's with Jason Mewes. Yeah. No, Jason Mewes is in it. Not sure what to think about that one. It looks, looks pretty bad, honestly, but it might be fun. And The Laughing Mask, I have no idea what that is. I, mean, I found it says 2014. I don't know if, that's, if it's this. It looks awful. The Laughing Mask? Yeah, it looks terrible. It's a horror movie that looks like a super, super low-budget horror movie. Is it the one that says, if you're guilty, beware? Uh, maybe. I don't <laughs> see that. I don't see that on here in the synopsis, but it looks bad. Um, let's see. Next week on Blu-ray, this is for Tuesday, the 21st of June. We have The Wave, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, The Brothers Grimsby. Uh, these are all movies that I have no interest in at all. Uh, Embrace of the Serpent. That one's probably worth a look. I'm interested in that one. Mm-hmm. Midnight yes. Special. Uh, that one is worth a look. That one's quite good. So check out Midnight Special. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Johnny English Reborn. We have Chef. Those are re-releases, I think. Um, the Crush is getting a Blu-ray release. The, the 1993 classic. Felicia Silverstone. Oh yeah. Movie called Roller Coaster from 1977. Okay. Not sure what that's all about. Is it a documentary about roller coasters? Uh doesn't look like it, but maybe. Who knows? <clears throat> Darn it. Uh, and Arrow Video is putting out Nikatsu Diamond Guys Volume Two. Tokyo Mighty Guy Danger Paul's Murder Unincorporated. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, that's fucking serious. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not familiar with that series, but uh, I'm kind of interested. Okay, so I had to look up Roller Coaster from 1977. This is directed by James Goldstone. It's about a blackmailer who's threatening to sabotage roller coasters at various American amusement parks if he isn't paid a huge ransom. Whoa. That sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> I might have to watch that. That sounds so awesome. Are you kidding me? Might have to give that a look. Actually, holy shit, it's got George Siegel in there, Henry Fonda, hmm. early Helen Hunt, apparently. Must be really early Helen Hunt, yeah. Damn, hmm. interesting. Uh, Knight of Cups and Anesthesia also come out. 
What do we have on the Criterion front? Uh, we have one, and that is the animated film from 1973, Fantastic Planet, which I've been wanting to see this one for ages. And I don't know why I have, never have. I don't know. Just don't know. I'll rectify that situation. Uh, All right. I think that that is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to the podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.